Welcome to Help From Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's that conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge amigos. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined by my good friend, my coach, my pal, my constant Keyforge companion. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. Um, fun topic today. Um, we were kicking around some ideas of some stuff that we'd like to talk about. And since mass mutation is still like something that's very hot, we're still opening a lot of decks from it right now. We're still, I think, broadly getting a picture of what the set looks like. We thought it'd be fun to talk about a special fixed and variant cards within mass mutation, because I dare say this is the most we've seen in any set of Keyforge up to this point. Oh, for sure. And so the kind of cards we're talking about are things like uh, the monuments in Saurian. We're talking about Dark Amber Vault that shows up in every house. We're talking about pair cards like Hide and Vellum. We're talking about the big double card monsters. We're talking about the Sins. Uh, you know, all kinds of things like that whose existence is basically it shows up in your deck and there's something special about it that usually associates with other cards within your deck. It has some kind of a relationship with another card in your deck, sometimes in the same house, sometimes in another house and uh it, it's a really cool and unique thing within keyforge i think and something you can only do within the context of a fixed deck game like there's no way you could do this in another game uh so it, it's sort of one of those special unique aspects of keyforge and we thought it'd be fun to address that yeah the procedurally generated aspect of the game which we always hear being talked about on crucible cast and whatnot yeah. And, you know, honestly, it's one of the things where I've talked about this before. When I first heard about Keyforge, my first thought was, though, that doesn't sound like very much fun. Like half the fun is being able to make your own deck and personalizing it. And, you know, the, the, it wasn't clear to me at that point and probably wasn't even clear to me until very recently when we started seeing things like enhancements and so forth, how special you can make things by having that random element of enhancement, by having that random or, you know, procedurally generated element of this card matches with this card, which also goes with this card, which can then interact with these cards. That's part of what makes Keyforge such a cool and unique game. For sure. So let's get things uh, started off by talking a little bit about some cards that exist within your deck that come with a certain number of cards that complement them in mass mutation. So the two big examples of this are Dark Harbinger and Z-Force Agent. Have you got a good Z-Force Agent deck? I got a couple. That's That was one of the very first things I set up on DOK was an alert for a transporter platform Z-Force agent deck. So I've been looking for those and I bought an Italian one, was my very first uh, secondary market deck I bought for this, which is a ton of fun. And I have a, actually I think I have three of them. I have one with Ultra Gravitron and then I have one that's uh, just a really solid Z-Force agent deck that I really enjoy playing. It's a lot of fun. So if you're not familiar with the Z-Force agent, he's a five-power creature. Uh, his trait is that he's cyborg, and his fight is gain one for each upgrade on Z-Force agent 14. So the cool thing about that is that when you have Z-Force agent 14, you are going to get a certain number of Z enhancements or upgrades, rather, that you can put onto your Z-Force agent if they come up the right way. So you get the Z-Particle Tracker, which is this creature gains fight, search your deck for an upgrade and put it in your hand, shuffle your deck. Obviously a great enabler for Z-Force agent 14. You get the Z-Ray Blaster, 
This creature gains plus three power and gains before fight deal three to each neighbor of this creature. This, uh, or sorry, each neighbor of the creature this creature fights. And you've got the Z Wave emitter at the start of your turn. Ward this creature. Um, this makes Z Force Agent especially scary, just because he's got that fight power, giving him the one amber for each enhancement. And then you've got these enhancements uh, or upgrades rather. Uh, totally like providing value on top of that. And then, as you mentioned, the transporter platform, which just makes the whole thing sick. How does it play in practice, Blake? Uh, to be honest, the hard part is getting all the pieces together. You really need some good archiving because getting all the upgrades that you need onto it at the right time, there's 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 been a few feel-bads moment where you're like, oh, I can't just wait for this. I'm holding these upgrades. You put on another creature, and then you proceed to then that turn draw into your Z-Force agent after you've just played them. Mm. So that's always a feel-bad. But, I mean, his upgrades that he comes with are really good on their own, especially if you get a heavy upgrade deck. The particle tracker is really cool. And the, the blaster, though, I think is the one I'm generally looking for because it's boosting a creature and creating that splash damage before fight. So each of the neighbors are taking three, which is um, just fantastic. But I would say that um, I've played against a few people who I'll refer to as dicks because they decided <laughs> to put a detention coil on my Z-Force agent once I got it going and I just couldn't use it then. And it was just like, oh, well, that sucks. But uh, I don't see why you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, like um, in the previous set, Worlds Collide, we had all those procedurally generated blasters, and I was never a big fan of them just because the art's always the same and I could never keep straight which blaster, like, you know, what its power was. Like, it was just, it was, you know, it was cool, but it was bland at the same time. I like time. that they kept the stunner, though, like one blaster, you know what it yes, is. And exactly. I mean, it's it's pretty Reggie in terms of, like, all the ones you could have chose, but I think the art is really cool. It makes sense with the concept of Star Alliance. So it's cool that it stuck around, but yeah, it's a uh, it's Z Force Agent. I think is something that we're gonna see pop up from time to time. It's not gonna be you know the go to deck, but it is a fun one to have, and it can be very powerful. Yeah, and also keep in mind the fact that there's other in or upgrades rather that you can totally throw on the Z Force Agent, even if you don't come up with your Z Ray stuff, right? Like it's mm -hmm, always it's possible true. to put Universal Translator or Blast Shielding or Disruption Field or something else. You put Encounter Suit on him, and that makes it super beastly. Well, the the other thing you always do as well is start throwing on like Explore Rovers or your Secure Droids because those are usually have those more frequently, and all those great creature upgrades you can just use them to further pump that gaining ember mm -hmm. and helping because some some of those I don't really care to have on the board especially with certain things that exist in the game sometimes though they're not huge hugely powerful and it can sometimes be more beneficial to have them on that ember generating front yeah stealthster is not a great card like on its own not as a yeah like, it's, I'm not it's a huge fine. fan yeah, I mean, at least you could say with the the OG one that was skirmish, the name of which temporarily escapes me, like Explore Rover. Yeah, Explore Rover. At least with Explore Rover, a three power with skirmish. Okay, I can see some value in that if it mm -hmm. lands on the board as a creature. But Stelster, who cares about having like a three power elusive creature? Like it's just not. It's no big deal. It's not any great shakes. Yeah, um, super vanilla. Yes, indeed. Moving on over to House Untamed, sort of a corollary. For the Z-Force agent, we've got the Dark Harbinger, who I love. Blake, have you got some good Dark Harbinger decks? I have just the one. It's not amazing, but I love it. Like, it's for sure on my radar as an archetype I want more of. I have, like, three or four of them. And let me tell you, like, th they aren't the strongest decks, but there is some truly on-the-roll stuff that you can get going. So if you're not familiar with the Dark Harbinger... 
Uh, it is a four power creature mutant witch in the classic style. A witch is a powerful card that you got to be wary of. Um, and it has a very, very simple uh, uh, power, which is after you play an untamed action card, ready dark harbinger. So that's great because it means that untamed action or untamed actions are going to make dark harbinger like ready to go right away and be able to be used multiple times per turn. If you have multiple actions that you can play, they also come with a certain number of actions that uh, are these mutations. So you've got the mutation of cunning, which gives a creature until the start of your next turn, a creature gains elusive in the mutant trait mutation of fury until the start of your next turn, a creature gains assault three and the mutant trait and mutation of instinct until the start of your next turn, a creature gains skirmish and the mutant trait. So the cool thing about it is that one, you can create extra mutants, which is really cool. If you have cards that key off of mutant, like things like Pissmire and so on and so forth. Um, additionally, you don't have to put like the mutation of cunning or mutation of fury or mutation of instinct. The effect doesn't have to go onto the dark harbinger, but it definitely, by playing them, you are readying the Dark Harbinger. So if you need the Dark Harbinger to take out a priority target, Mutation of Fury or uh, Mutation of Instinct. If you've got a bunch of uh, Amber stored on the Dark Harbinger, Mutation of Cunning to make them elusive. And once you get going with things like Song of the Wild, where you can get oh, yeah. extra Amber for Reaping, it gets really gross. Like you can have those big old school untamed burst turns. Yeah, I think I think the Song of the Wild combo is what you're looking for every time, without a doubt. When you see those, I mean, obviously, punctuated equilibrium is great in any deck, but having that with the ability to maybe draw into more untamed actions is just next level. Uh, I think we've seen a huge rise in like it's it's probably one of like top three best cards that came out of AOA as punctuated equilibrium. I'd say without a doubt. I would a hundred percent agree with you and it's that kind of interaction that really does elevate a deck i think from just being like a good or slightly above average deck to being a really like super competitive deck is those kinds of combinations where it's not only you have a card that benefits from several other cards but that allows you to go on those big rolls yeah a hundred percent i love uh, dark harbinger i i wish i had more than one deck because i i really want to find more i suspect you'll open a few hopefully I'm also on the lookout for a Z-Force deck, so maybe each of us will, will sort of have the uh, opportunity to explore those a little bit more. Moving on, this was a thing that people were talking about all the time in the lead-up to this set, and ultimately, I don't know, has had that huge of an impact on the game for good or bad. We're talking about the big double creatures, the creatures that are split across two cards. We got Niffle Kong in Untamed, Ultra Gravitron in uh, uh, Logos, and we've got Desilus in House uh, uh, Saurian. Do you have a preference between any of these three, Blake? I I don't have Ducilius, so I cannot comment on that. I kind of lean towards Kong, though, I think, out of the ones that I like. Um, it's it's hard for me to say, though, because I like Kong because the fact that you're putting a bunch of things on the board right mm -hmm. away and then you have the ability to deal damage, steal an ember, destroy artifacts. Like It just kind of creates a toolbox for everything you could possibly need. I really, really like that aspect of Niflkong. And I mean, but on the flip side of that is Niflkong becomes neutered once there are no more Kongs left. It kind of falls flat a little bit, but until that point, it's really good. And I think it depends on the amount of Niffles you have in your deck that really determine how great that is. But I mean, if you pair that with a troop call, it becomes like extremely potent. 
because um, Ultra Gravitron is the one I've played a couple times, and uh, I don't know. It's 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 really cool, and I like the utility of it. It has, I think, it has more utility if you can get some good archiving. But I just feel like the the effect of having your niffles out, being able to reap with them, and then use the niffle Kong to start doing further, it just gets you further in the game. Mm-hmm. Ultra Graviton is the Logos one, and it is a ten power creature with three armor, which is hard to deal with, no doubt. But I've like I've beat them through standard means, like no special removal, no board clear. I just fought guys into Ultra Graviton to take it out because I had no other option. Um, it's Play ability is archive the top five cards of your deck. So even if your Ultra Graviton gets taken out, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Like that's right away a big value, like getting a super fat uh, archive going. But then it's fight reap ability of discard a card from your archives. If you do purge a creature and resolve each of its bonus icons as if you had played it is really clutch. Like it's going to be that thing that helps you take out a creature that maybe is protected in some way. And it's a purge, which makes it especially good. So if you're going up against a Sins deck and you're worried about them bringing it back, if you're going up against a deck that has, you know, even, you know, uh, if somebody throws down Ducilius, maybe Ultra Graviton is your answer for that, right? Um, well, even if you happen to, they have, they play like one of those creatures that has three icons on it, like mm-hmm. two draws and a bonus ember, and you just purge that card. And even for the value of the icons, never mind looking at the threat of a creature, it just provides a lot of flexibility in that sense. Yeah. So, uh, you know, gigantic creatures are neat, but as we've said, you know, I I think that the trickiness of getting them onto the board, because you have to have both pieces of them in hand, um, and then have to put them down and then they don't come in ready, right? Like they have an instant effect. Like you get the archiving, you get to put your niffles on the board. In the case of Ducilius, the, the Saurian one, you automatically get, uh, to, uh, capture all of your opponent's Amber and deal five damage to an enemy creature, which is a ridiculous playability. Mm -hmm. Like that is extremely sick. Um, Ducilius, I think, is the... I don't have one, but it's on paper, I think, the least of them. Like, capturing all your opponent's Amber is really good, but then if you want to use it, you have to give Amber back. Or it Amber goes to the it's common, common supply, supply. And then deal two damage to each enemy creature. Like, I feel like that's not totally the greatest. I don't know. It's it When I've had it played against me, it was never that big of a problem, to be totally honest. Honestly, all you need is, like, if you have a Macus ass, see ya. I mean, there's, thing, there's cards now that create poison, which like more commonly in shadow. So you can literally just get rid of this sooner. You can, what is it? Destroy damage creatures exist and stuff like that. So it, it's not impossible to get rid of, but I think from the Ember control side of things, it's uh it's very, very cool. I mean, good thing six Semper doesn't exist in this set, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell <laughs> me about it. Although, you know, there are cards that will deal with big creatures. Like there's so much creature removal. And that's one of the things, whenever you see like a super hot creature, like these gigantic creatures, like so many of the other ones, like this set is so big on like targeted removal that I almost like, this is my whole thing back in the day with Xenos, Blood Shadow and Toad was my song that I kept singing that people, you know, tend to disagree with me on was Xenos, Blood Shadow isn't great because despite the fact that Xenos is a powerful creature, it has no innate super good ability. It's just like, you know, it's good at fighting and good at not getting hit by other people who are trying to fight it. But like, it's so easy to take it off the board with targeted removal. And I feel like these guys fall into that same category. Or just a board wipe. 
Yeah, or a board wipe, right, exactly. You know, there's ways to deal with this stuff. Um, and that's the way it should be, right? Like, there should be no creature that hits the board, and that's the end of the game. But at the same time, you know, uh, the value of, in the case of all these gigantic creatures, having both your deck taken up, like, three cards total to make them a reality, is that worth it? It's going to depend on what your cards that you can support them with or what they can do, you know, in the context of the game that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Moving right along, let's talk about another often discussed thing about mass mutation before the set actually came out. We're thinking about sins. Man, I have a sins deck that I have not played nearly enough of, but the interaction between the sins when you get the right layout is very cool. Yeah, when you have a sins deck, it becomes like worlds collide star lines. Like once you have them out, you're probably calling dis every turn until it's dealt with. Yeah. Now, the thing about the seven deadly sins is that, one, they're deadly. Um, but two, one of the things that I think is really fascinating about them is the fact that there is a varying level of power for each of them. Um, and the fact is that they're not super hard to take out, but they reinforce each other. So, like, the biggest sin is, I'm fairly sure, gluttony. And yep. gluttony, for obvious reasons, it's a six power. But it also has, like, the worst ability, which is, uh, you know, uh, or sorry, it has... Play Exult uh, once for each friendly sin creature and then reap, move each amber from uh, friendly creatures to your pool. That one's sick. Um, I was thinking yeah. of Sloth when I said it was one of the worst powers. Uh, but Gluttony is actually amazing just because there's so many other cards that capture amber, right? So the moment Dude, Gluttony the hits the table. I've, I've had with that is, mm -hmm. are stupid. I've done like 11 ember bursts from that. I've done 15, I think, before. Like it's it's crazy with all the stuff. Like if you get Snorettes in your deck and you get Squire Alice's on top of it, like if you have, I think if you get the Sanctum Dino Sins combo, like it can be really, really powerful. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at Envy and Envy has a great power if there are two or more friendly sin creatures capture all your opponent's amber plus they're elusive like that's super mm -hmm. sick and can be really clutch they can hide next to wrath who is a uh, three power with three armor but has taunt poison skirmish kind of like a mini xenos blood shower or blood shadow rather and has fight for each friendly sin creature enrage an enemy creature which could be very handy um you know, uh, Sloth is the only one that I think is kind of lame. And Sloth's deal is that it's five power. Okay, whatever. But at the end of your turn, if you do not use any creatures this turn, gain one for each friendly sin creature. That's pretty specific. And I don't think is going to be that many scenarios unless you're playing four sins in the same turn or something like that. Yeah, well, it's also like, I think if you for some reason go off disc for one turn, you might as well just play out cards from your hand, discard your creatures. Or just play out cards and go off the turn, and then however many you have, you're going to gain mm -hmm. Ember. But I'm with you. I think it's the the most milk toast out of all of them. Now, Desire, I think, is an, a very interesting one. Um, it should be noted that every single one of them pretty much has some interaction with other sins that depends on other sins being on the board to get the most value out of them. Desire's power is Keys Cost plus four. So... That's both players, but Desire has the reap power of Forge a Key at current cost, reduced by one for each friendly sin creature. That does give you the opportunity to really actually like mess with your opponent's key cost in a very appreciable way, especially, too, if you have Desire on the board and then put out your sins and somehow protect them. Uh, maybe use Pride, that sin's ability, to ward each friendly sin creature. Yeah. And then, of course, lastly, we have, um, I would say, the favorite, the crowd favorite, which is Greed, which is allowing you to draw extra cards uh, for each friendly sin 
you have, you get to draw an additional card because that one, as soon as you play your sins, like no matter what, as soon as you drop greed, you're getting to draw one extra card that turn. And then it just multiplies and increases from there based on the number of sins you have, which is just a fantastic ability to have. Like we all know like how powerful mother and daughter has been for drawing cards. And so having this in discs of all places, I think is, is pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. Being able to have those big rolling hands is is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm very, very, very into the sins as a concept. The way that I've played my sin deck thus far has been very much holding back on the sins. Like I don't like playing them out like one at a time as they come into my hand. I mean, obviously, sometimes you just have to because you don't want to chain yourself. But I find that crucially when i've played against people who are playing sins decks it's almost always their strategic uh like putting out of the sins like you were talking about earlier if you can archive if you can you know pick your moment to put them out that's when you get the most tremendous value out of them because if you're just putting them out one at a time it gives your opponent like the opportunity to take them out one at a time and just one of them on the board by itself is never that much of a threat yeah the, i think the funny proposition is when you throw down pride which allows you to ward the sins, but then you put one of the other ones next to it because then you have to decide, do I take care of pride? Because if not, they're all going to be tougher to deal with moving forward or do I take down one of the other ones because they're a high value target. I love the proposition of having sins on the board and you have either being you against your opponent or your opponent having to figure out how the heck do I deal with this problem here? Because it becomes a very much a puzzle. And, and once you have wrath out where it's taunt and you know that no matter what you're swinging into that it's dying every time it's it's such an interesting proposition it's an amazingly cool idea and that's one of the things i really dig about mass mutation we've talked about this a bunch of times blake but it's the fact that mass mutation has been a wonderful set for forcing decisions and Mm -hmm. creating interesting gameplay scenarios so it's all about making these bigger puzzles in the game that you have to figure out as a player. And that's really cool. I like the idea of my opponent who knows their deck creates a scenario where I have to figure out what my deck can do to get past what they've set up. That's really neat. That's also one of the reasons I find taunt in this set. I treat it differently than before. Cause in previous sets, when you have taunt, you kind of like just play things out and protect them. I find I like to, if I know what's in my deck, I find I'm leaving a space open more often mm-hmm. than not for in case this creature that is really high value and special comes along in the next turn that I'm able to keep it protected, which I, I didn't do as to the same degree that I found I've been doing in mass mutation. Yeah, agreed. I think uh, uh, I think about uh, warding a lot the same way as well. I think there's less warding in general in this set, which is a good thing because mm-hmm. ward was such a you know a, a, an amazingly powerful thing to have happen in previous in Worlds Collide when it first came about. But I think that being able to ward creatures in Mass Mutation so that you can get these crazy like interactions between them is very much one of the things that's definitive about this set and some of the power decks within this set. Moving right along, we're not going to have time to talk about all of the sort of procedurally matched cards. Like, I'm thinking of the bots that exist within uh, Logos. I'm not thinking about the demo cards um, that are spread across various other houses. But we are going to talk a little bit about the paired cards that are in this set. Um, So real quickly, uh, do you want to run those down for us, Blake? Yeah, for sure. So basically, this, this kind of first happened back in Coda with Time Traveler. That was, I think, where we first saw this, where there was a card that when this card exists, you know you're going to see this card as well. And in this set specifically, there's Hide and Vellum. You have Charbitus and uh, Scylla. 
There is obviously the exchange officer and another creature, which is the most unique one. And then you have Xenos Blood Shadow as well with Toad. But obviously you have Odd Claude and even Ivan sort of fall into this category. But uh, we were discussing this before. I'm not really sure what the parameters are of having those exist. Like, is there something that triggers it? Because they have those symbols as a pair, but they don't always show up as a pair. So if you know the answer to that, please uh, hit us up and let us know because I'm curious. And I know Alex is too. But yeah, we just want to talk about these cards that, that come like when you have one, you know you're getting the other. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, I mean, some of them are very straightforward and simple. Like, I think one of the coolest things about uh, the idea of Hyden Vellum is that they interact in a special way, um, mm-hmm. which is that they give you a power. That power is enhanced if the other one's on the table, and it allows you to bring them back if one of them isn't on the table and the other one's already been disposed of, which is very yeah. cool. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and they're good powers, right? Like they're good, useful abilities that you would want in your deck. Um, have you played against Charbridus and Scylla? I have a deck with Charbridus and, and uh, Scylla. It's really, really neat. I, I really like those two cards a lot. And, oh, it's it's pretty, pretty cool the way they interact. I, I was surprised about how the impact of them was not as strong as I thought it would be. But it is, they are just phenomenal cards and the art is amazing. And the fact that it's again like this double art where they tie into one another, like the same with Hide and Vellum. If you put them side by side, you'll notice that the art kind of mm. is encompassing both. It has a link. The same thing with uh, uh, Charbidus and uh, Silas. So I, I really like them. The thing about Charbidus and Zilla, uh, or sorry, and uh, Scylla um, is that they're both seven power. So Charbridus mm-hmm. has the power of each enemy creature gains before fight lose one. So if you want to fight a creature, you're going to lose one out of your pool, which sucks unless you already have no amber. Um, uh, and Scylla is uh, each enemy creature gains reap a deal four to this creature. So heavy repaid, like real serious stuff. I'd take the, uh, a Scylla power over a stun like we saw in AOA for a repaid, you know, any mm-hmm. day of the week. But the thing about them is that both of them on the table present such a horrible, like, you have to fight to get rid like it's almost at that point it's like I don't care what I have on the board I'm just going to hit a board clear and get out of here like dealing with mm-hmm. them is such a huge pain especially if they end up getting warded or otherwise protected behind a taunt or something like that they're just such a pain to deal with and their bodies are so big that like it's going to take multiple fights which if Charbidus is on the table for uh, you know you're going to be paying for to take them out like they are a force to be reckoned with Hundred percent, and they're they're like big creatures. If you look at the art, there's actual like regular Saurians in boats around them, and they're tiny and minuscule. Like these are considered like they're called beasts for a reason. So it's uh it's pretty interesting uh, how they are portrayed as almost like godlike creatures, which is really cool. Yeah, very much so. Um, Odd Claude, even Ivan. Um, I would love, like uh, Blake mentioned, to know exactly how the distro on these works because they have the special symbol, but they don't always seem to come together. Also, I have a deck that has like two of one and one of the other, which is strange. Mm-hmm. But I do like the one-two punch with them of if you get them both on the table and you can use their action, each of them has an action, which is uh, Odd Claude is if your opponent has an odd amount of amber, their action is steal one amber. Yeah, even Ivan has, if your opponent has an even amount of amber, action, steal, one amber. So you can basically, if you have them both on the table, one, two punch with them. So if your opponent has six amber, you use Ivan first, and then you use Claude, and then you steal two of them overall. Which, like, all right, let's 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 be frank here. You know, 
it's an action. It's not a reap power like a lot of other people have for steel. So it's not like it's the most amazing power in the entire world. It's mostly just cool that they kind of match each other and come together. Yeah, the flavor text is really cool as well. It says, uh, Ivan has been acting odd since the Dark Ember experiment. And then Claude says, even Claude has to admit that the Dark Ember experiment was not entirely successful. So they play on the even and odd within their flavor text, which is really neat. Mm-hmm, I love that. Um, moving right along, uh, quick mention here of the Dark Amber Vault. I just opened my first DAV deck the other day. This artifact is sick. Obviously, mm-hmm. it is dependent on how many mutants you have in your deck, and that should be acknowledged because there's going to be some decks where this thing just isn't that great. But with that said, the fact that these occur across every house is pretty amazing. Dark Amber yeah. Vault is after you play a mutant creature, draw a card, great. Each friendly mutant creature gains plus two power. The thing's incredible. Yeah, I went, I went against a triple Rad Penny deck with it the other day. And it was dumb because you're drawing two cards. You're playing when you play the the rad uh, the rad penny. So if you get them at the end of your deck, you can actually shuffle them back in to draw into the other and just keep drawing cards, which is really bonkers. Like I thought that combo is is just insane. A hundred percent agreed. Like there's not a whole lot of strategy to it. Honestly, um, I did actually have somebody make an interesting decision in a game I was playing against. I was playing a deck that had uh, two Boros in it, and he literally just said, I'm not putting my Dark Amber Vault out. Like, he discarded it and then put in the chat, I'm discarding this because I'm not going to – I can't deal with you stealing it. It would be too Mm. too much of a pain, which means that he recognized the total value of it within that – within the game, which is an interesting thing to think about. Are you looking for artifacts stealing when somebody puts uh, their deck in front of you at the beginning of the game? Yeah. I uh, also want to quickly mention the monuments that are paired with the card that they have the name of. So we got Monument to Faust, Monument to Ludo, Monument to Octavia, Monument to Primus, Monument to Shrix. Um, I don't want to go over the powers of each one, but do you have a favorite amongst those? Because I certainly do. I think Shrix without a doubt for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So Monument to Shrix has, you may spend uh, Amber on Monument to Shrix as if it was in your pool. That's very appropriate for a card named after Senator Shrix. Um, Action, move one Amber from your pool to Monument to Shrix. If Citizen Shrix is in your discard pile, move one from any player's pool to the Monument to Shrix instead. That's disgusting. That's almost worth discarding uh, Citizen Shrix to get that power rocking. I've done it before. Mm -hmm. So have I. Especially yeah, if you have really a deck cool. that has two Citizen Shrixes, so you can yeah. discard one, play one, and then get both going for you. Oh, man, it's mm-hmm. so gross. This is very much the kind of dynamic that I would love to see continue through Keyforge. Um, it's one of the things that makes the game unique. It's one of the things that I love discovering as you start working through the set. Um, and ultimately, you know, they don't have to be world-beating cards. Like, some of the stuff we've talked about today is extremely excellent. Some of the stuff we've talked about isn't, like, totally incredible or amazing. It's just kind of cool to see. Yeah, agreed. We cannot finish an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment, Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. That's a shout out to everybody on Twitter who said they missed me saying it the other week. Blake, you got one for us this week? I do, I do. And this one is a lesson to keep in mind when you're doing your checklist at the end of your turn or when you're taking someone off check is do not underestimate Novu Dynamo. This card, I've been burned a couple times now forgetting that even taking my opponent off check to five means that if they if Dynamo's on the board, they can just discard a Logos card from their archives or hand. 
And then they gain an ember and get to forge because it happens at the start of the turn before the forge step. So you got to keep Novu Dynamo in check. And if you see it out there, you need to take them two ember off check, not just one. Keep that in mind because it's it's something that uh, has burned me and been my boon at the same time. Uh, I have a freaking amazing auto encoder deck right now, which is just loving Novu Dynamo being a part of it. And uh, that's part of my deck deep dive that I'm working on right now. And I just got to say, just keep that in mind that Novu Dynamo works before the Forge key step. And so taking someone off check by one Ember is not going to stop Novu from potentially doing it unless they don't have a Logos card in hand or in archives. But I think at that point, you need to play around it and not gamble. That's a really good lesson to learn. And it's certainly one that I hadn't even thought about till right now. But you're right. Like Novu Dynamo is that same thing that we had with um, Gambling Den in Worlds mm-hmm. Collide, and in fact in this set as well, it's still around, which is the whole, because the Amber game can happen before your uh, your Forge Key step happens, it can be a game winner. Yeah. You can find us on social media. We are on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter, on Instagram, also playing on the Crucible under that name. Blake, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's a BLVD Paper Fight, as well as on YouTube, where I'm trying to be very consistent with uploading uh, different videos. My Would You Rather series of decks has become very popular, and I appreciate everyone who participates in that. And you can find me every Tuesday streaming on Twitch at Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake, which is my seems to be my new TCO name now as well, if you find me there. All right. It's been another fun episode. We look forward to chatting about Keyforge again next week. Until then, stay tuned.